You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. What is a 59-year-old Mexican-American lesbian doing in Norwich? <laughs> I can trace it back to the exact second in, in time when my destiny took a hard left toward, towards the UK. It was December 2nd, 2014, 1 a.m. Gail my partner, my lover, my best friend, and my soulmate for 30 years got up to go to the bathroom. And then she called me, so I got up to see what was wrong. I could tell that she was having trouble breathing, so I guided her to the bed, and I said to her, 911, and first she went, and then she went. So I called 911 right away. Now, we live in Newport, Rhode Island, which is a small sea village, uh, and the paramedics were a couple of blocks away. So they got there very quickly at 1.07 a.m. Uh, they put her on the gurney and took her into the ambulance. And as I was leaving the house to follow them to the hospital, I saw the New York Times book review and I optimistically picked it up thinking I might need something to read. So when I get to the hospital, they take me into this big room and there's a single lone doctor working on her, doing compressions. And the room looks like war-torn Beirut. There's medical debris all over the floor. So I walk up to her to hold her hand. And at this point, I can tell that the compressions are just for show, that he's really actually just waiting for me. So as soon as I get there, the doctor, um, he stops what he's doing. He looks at me. He looks up at the clock. And he pronounces her at 1.39 a.m., so in 39 minutes, my whole life went up in smoke. I had to make the two hardest phone calls of my life. I had to call her son, Bren, in New Haven, and her daughter, Christy, in Boston. Now, the week after someone passes is very hectic. There's a lot of stuff to do, a lot of organizing. So the house was full of like kids and grandkids and, and her sisters and nephews and spouses and dogs. But at a certain point, Everybody has to return to the real world. So I'm left there all alone in the house with her stuff. Now at first it kind of feels like science fiction. Someone that's been by your side every day for 30 years has suddenly vanished into thin air and you're like, well, where the hell did she go? Where is she? And then I just slipped into basically a deep alcoholic funk. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, I stopped playing tennis. I stopped doing yoga. I called and uh, canceled all my freelance contracts. I couldn't read. I couldn't even read. So I'm lying around wearing her favorite sweater, which is pretty ratty at this point because I've been wearing it 24-7. And I'm clutching a silk pouch with a lock of her hair in the silk pouch. So um, it's pretty bleak. This is what the day looks like. Sobbing uncontrollably, gin and tonics, fall asleep. 
sobbing uncontrollably, gin and tonics, fall asleep. Wash, rinse, repeat. It was, it was pretty bleak. It was the first time in my life um, that I actually honestly didn't care whether I lived or died, which was a very strange feeling. But then something started happening in the house. Everything started breaking. I went to the sliding door, and the handle broke off in my hand. Uh, a couple of windows broke for some unknown reason. Uh, the brand new stove that I had just bought her a few months before just lit up like this and just died. And then the furnace, which was, which was also relatively new, um, we had bought it like the year before, just started having death rattles and died. And then one day I'm lying on the sofa and I hear this like rushing water. And I'm like, what the hell is that? So I run into the bedroom and there's this waterfall. It's like a curtain of water just coming down from the bay window onto the bedroom floor. And I'm like, we've lived in this house for 15 years and nothing like that had ever happened. So I'm like, what the hell? So I call my best friend, Barry. And I'm like, Barry, you know, I feel like the house is like turned against me. I feel like it's attacking me. And of course, Barry thought I was just crazy with grief. So he was like, why don't you come to Albany? We'll take care of you. Bev and I will take care of you. We'll feed you. You don't have to do anything. And I'm like, Barry, I don't trust myself to get behind the wheel of the car. I think I'll just drive into the, like, the oncoming traffic just to, just to end the pain. And he's like, fine, I'll come get you. So he came and got me. He took me to Albany. And after about a week, I was like, I was like done. I wanted to get back to the house. I missed being around her things, the smell of her clothes and all of that. So he takes me back. We walk in, I walked into the kitchen, he's taking stuff out of the car. And so I start screaming, Barry, Barry, come to the kitchen. He's like, what? So he comes in. The kitchen cabinet had somehow detached itself from the wall. <laughs> and everything in the cabinet, all of the glasses, the, everything, the china, the vases, everything had broken and crashed on the kitchen floor. So I look at him and I go, you see, I'm not making this up. And he's like, you know, I think Gail's trying to send you a message. And I'm like, but it feels so violent. Gail, is, Gail was like the most peaceful person I know that I've ever met. There's no way, you know? And he's like, I think she's trying to get you out of this house. So they tell you not to do anything drastic in the first year of grief. Uh, but the next morning I got up and I called a real estate agent and I put the house on the market. So the next thing was like, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? At this point, my, my elderly mother had been starting to make a lot of mistakes in her business, like uh, she forgot to pay payroll taxes. So my, my brother had taken over her business, and he was starting to complain. He was starting to say, you know, I need some help. So I thought, well, I'll just go down there to Texas, where I was born. I was like, you know, I don't have anything else to do. I might as well do something constructive and help my mother. I might as well go do this. So I tell Barry my plan, and Barry's like, are you crazy? He goes, are you sure you want to go back to that small town in Texas that you left at 16 because it was so homophobic to take care of the woman who was trying to cure you and who never really acknowledged Gail? I'm like, really? That's what you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. At least I can live for free, right? I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I go to Texas. Long story short, mom's, mom like, watches Family Feud all day long with the volume super high because she's going deaf. So I get in the habit of like, listening to things on my iPad with earphones. So I found this podcast called Meet the Writers that was out of London. And they were interviewing Tracy Chevalier, who wrote 
the girl with the pearl earrings. And she was talking about her time at UEA in the creative writing program. And the interviewer sort of offhandedly said, um, oh, a lot of great writers come out of that program. Now, I had never heard of UEA. I, I had no idea. But something about that just pricked up my ears. And I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe writing is the thing. Maybe that's it. That will drag me back into the land of the living. So I downloaded the application. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just do it. Who cares? I don't care. This is the great thing about not giving a shit, <laughs> is that you do stuff that you would never do if you did give a shit. So I filled it out. I sent it in. I didn't care. I was like, oh, it gave me an idea. Once I, when I get rejected, I'll just uh, I'll apply to schools in the United States, whatever. And then a few days later, I was walking past a fortune teller. And I decided to go in. I thought, OK, maybe this guy can like, shed some light on what I'm supposed to do with my life. And he, he told me a lot of things. But the three things I remember, the first thing he said was, when you're interviewed by a committee, make sure and show your passion. And I was like, well, I'm not interviewing for a job. I'm not really interviewing for anything. So he's crazy. And then the second thing he said, there's going to be a big move in your life. You're going to move to a foreign country. And so I said, oh, the UK? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Not the UK. <laughs> Definitely not the UK. You're going to move to a foreign country, but not the UK. So then I thought, well, it's probably Mexico. I always wanted to live in Mexico. And then the last thing he said to me was, you're drinking too much. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah, so, so then, uh, sure enough, two days later, I get an email from UEA saying they want to Skype interview me. And it's two people. I don't know if two people constitutes a committee. But I thought, OK, I'll see if I can dredge up some passion. And about a week later, I got through the interview. About a week later, I got uh, an acceptance to UEA for an MFA in creative writing. So from December 2nd of 2014, at 1.39 AM, my life took a turn that I could have never predicted. Never. So I'm here to tell you, true story. I'm alive. True story, I can read again. Uh, true story, I'm learning how to write a novel from the best of the best, something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. And lastly, true story, new beginnings can happen to anyone at any age. Thank you. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre, and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council, and Writer Centre Norwich.